This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on Paul's second letter to Corinthians called Power in Weakness. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is the word of God. If any of you have been involved in ministry for more than, let's say, 10 seconds, you know that ministry is hard. Ministry is difficult. Ministry is tiring. And there are many, of, many people here who have been in ministry, full-time ministry, a lot longer than I have. And the further you go on, the more you feel yourself being attacked by depression, frustration, and exhaustion. And, you know, the attrition rate in, in Christian ministry is very high. Most people who begin, say, pastoral ministry are out of it within five years. And only a tiny fraction make it to 25, 40, or 50 years. And, you know, we all have high hopes when we launch out in ministry. The people of God are gathered around laying hands on us. We sense the power of the Holy Spirit. We're filled with a great vision of what God is going to do through us. And then time grinds on, and we find over the years that there seems to be very little return for all the effort that we have poured in. 
the fruit that we see compared to the seed that we flung on the ground seems incredibly meager and disappointing. Not only that, we experience continual, relentless spiritual attack, not just from demonic forces, but even from the very people that we've given so much of ourselves to in sacrificial love. We poured our hearts only to be hurt deeply. And over the years, so many in Christian ministry become cynical and disillusioned and burn out and leave the ministry altogether, barely holding on often to what is left of their own faith. Paul knew all these things. And no group of pastors or Christian workers could sit around in a circle and share their horror stories without Paul having his own stories far worse and far more devastating. Paul is not some kind of missionary superhero who soars above it all, enjoying unlimited, unlimited success, while mere mortals like ourselves toil down below. Paul experienced the brutal nature of ministry. Disappointments, betrayals, attacks. And Paul knew what it meant to feel debilitating depression and discouragement, not least in relation to this very church in Corinth with whom he is grappling. And as he says in the first chapter, there was a time when he despaired of life itself. So completely had he been destroyed by the conflict and the difficulties of this church. And yet, somehow, Paul keeps on going. He trudges forward. And despite all the pain and all the disappointment and all the, the anguish of ministry, Paul says he does not lose heart. He doesn't hand in his resignation. He doesn't get a more sensible job selling real estate on the Greek coast. Paul plows onwards. Not because Paul was tougher than the rest of us. Yeah, Paul is a deeply sensitive person who experiences weakness and frailty in all kinds of ways. But because Paul felt a deep conviction that God was displaying the glory of the crucified and risen Jesus through his ministry, through his life, in fact, through the weakness and suffering of his ministry, Paul moves forward. Paul has a ministry, he knows, that's a gift of the mercy of God. Paul's apostolic calling was not a career choice. He didn't sit down with his guidance counselor in high school and talk about what are the things you enjoy, what are the things you good at. You know, maybe, maybe being an apostle of Jesus would be a good fit for you. You'd find a lot of satis life satisfaction in that. Nothing of the sort. Paul had been arrested by the grace of God. 
Here was a man who longed for revival in Israel, and he was convinced the key to revival was purifying the nation of sinners and people who did not attend to the law of God the way he did. And when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had the shattering realization that he himself was the problem, that he was the chief of sinners despite his zeal for God. He thought of himself as part of this elite unit of holy commandos, the spear point of divine revival. Turned out, in fact, that Paul was just another stubborn person resisting the purposes of God. And he learned in the most humbling of ways, as he was quite literally thrown from his high horse, that Paul was the man who needed the mercy of God and who received the mercy of God, the undeserved favor of God. So ground zero for Paul, the starting point of his ministry is a deep sense of his unworthiness before God, and yet an unfathomable reception of God's kindness. The very starting point for Paul is a realization of his neediness and his total dependence on the grace and mercy of God. And I just want to underline that simple phrase in the first verse because that is where all true gospel ministry begins. There are lots of people entering ministry, and I feel this temptation myself many times, who feel like God's grace is a wonderful thing for other people. The objects of my ministry, and you know, I've been so blessed, I have such tremendous resources within myself, so much charisma and wisdom and compassion. We want to help other people, the sinful, the needy, the weak people unlike ourselves, because we want to be benefactors. And darn, it feels good to be a benefactor, doesn't it? It feels good to be in a position, a very agreeable position of superiority over needy people where you get to play God in their lives. And they look to you with great neediness and longing and you get to be the one who brings transformation and revolution in their lives. And man, that kind of ministry feeds our pride. It feeds the flesh. And when we get into that mode of being the benefactor, we will desperately avoid ever ourselves receiving ministry. Now, this is a sign. If you only want to give ministry to other people, to the needy, but you never want to admit, I am weak, I am needy, I am sinful, I get discouraged, I need help, then you're not living with the openness of being under the mercy of God. Paul was not like that. He was not an arrogant benefactor. He freely admitted his need of God's mercy. And Paul could sit in an unheated apartment in Corinth with, with the most ragged ruffians and realize, I'm worse than any of these people, and yet God has shown up in my life and called me into something glorious. And I think it was this deep experience of the mercy of God 
that freed Paul to be so open and truthful and unpretentious. Because he admits right up front, I'm the worst of sinners. Number one, the chief of sinners. Therefore, Paul has been liberated by any need to prove himself to anyone around him. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so Paul has no need to be devious or to manipulate people or to craft a public ministry brand. Saul of Tarsus Ministries, a huge billboard with Saul's, Paul's face on it. He had no need to build a brand that had no relationship to who Paul was in private. I am who I am by the grace of God. And Paul had been gripped by the grace of God. And that gave him a total confidence in the truth of the message he was bringing. It wasn't just an interesting system of salvation for other people. Paul had experienced the truth of the gospel in his own life, not as a set of ideas or philosophical concepts, but as a living reality in his heart. And he just wanted to share that as openly and frankly as he knew how. No need to trim or adjust or water down the word of God. He just spoke the truth as he had received it from Jesus. And when people didn't respond in faith, when people rejected and opposed Paul's message, as honestly most of his hearers did, Paul's confidence in the truth wasn't shaken. His confidence in his ministry wasn't shaken because he knew what it was like to be blinded to the truth. So Paul himself had lived for many years, and he realized now there's something deeper going on in people's minds. There's spiritual warfare happening, and there is the God of this age, Satan, the evil one, who was blinding people to the glory of Jesus. The God of this age, Satan's power is temporary. He's only the God of this age. His time is running out, but yet it is very real. And the evil one's number one objective, as he enslaves people, his number one objective is to prevent them from seeing the glory of Jesus. His greatest fear in the heart of any unbeliever who's under his dominion is that somehow through the cracks, the lights of the gospel would penetrate. And all his activities in people's lives are all supporting the goal of keeping them blind to the glory of Jesus. And therefore, what people need is a truth and power encounter where the same God who said at the beginning of the world, let there be light, speaks that word of creative, regenerating power into people's hearts, and the scales fall off their eyes, and for the first time, they truly see. That's quite literally what happened to Paul in his conversion. He saw this dazzling light. He was blinded until a humble brother laid hands on Paul and prayed, Brother Paul, receive your sight. And you know, it's the story of all of us coming to Jesus. However, the varieties in our testimony 
the regenerating power of the Spirit, opening our eyes to behold Jesus is glorious. A reality that the hymn writer Charles Wesley describes so beautiful, so beautifully in his hymn, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. The eye of God shines the light into the cell. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Charles Wesley. The liberating power of seeing the glory of Jesus with new eyes. And Paul is in no doubt what kind of light it is that is shining into people's dark souls. It's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Here's what the gospel is, the content of the gospel. What is the gospel about? What is the good news? The glory of Christ. The gospel is supremely about Jesus. It's not primarily a story about me and how I get right with God. It's not a series of steps as to I, how I achieve or even receive salvation. The primary actor at center stage is Jesus himself. And the story the gospel tells is not in the first place a story about me and my problem and how I get it fixed. It's the story of Jesus. The story that we recite in the Apostles' Creed, as we will do next week when we celebrate Holy Communion, that Christ was made man, that he was crucified, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he reigns at the right hand of God, and that he's coming again. The gospel of the glory of Christ. And therefore, the great subject of Paul's preaching was Jesus Christ himself. Not a series of theological abstractions that could be divorced from Jesus, not a set of ideas or concepts. Christ himself. And Paul's gospel was not his own testimony. I think this is a danger we also need to be aware of. It's wonderful to share our own testimony of how you met Jesus. You should be sharing it a lot more, as should I. That is not the gospel. We need to be sharing the story of Jesus himself and introducing people to Jesus. Let them meet the Christ and let them see the glory of Christ. We preach Christ Jesus, Paul says. We do not preach ourselves. Paul was very happy to recede into the background so that Jesus could be seen as overwhelmingly glorious. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. And to those who came to John the Baptist expecting some kind of power from God, some kind of salvation, John the Baptizer would say, look, I am not the Christ. 
I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. But behold, the Lamb of God. And the great temptation in ministry is to suggest to people, actually, I am the Christ. I have the solution to your problems. I have the resources. I have the answers. And then, inevitably, we'll be scraped dry and we will bur- we'll be burnt out pretending to be Jesus, playing Jesus when we have no ability whatsoever to give what he gives. You know, it's so, so tiny and so depressing trying to minister in that way. Why would I want to pretend to be someone I'm not? Why would I want to make my ministry about myself? I'm such a small and honestly very dull person. Why would I want to be proclaiming myself, the least interesting thing in the world? Why would I want to announce that to other people? There's no glory in me or power in me or liberty in me. But here is what is exhilarating and what is freeing. That the creator God who says, let light shine out of darkness, he's making his light shine in our hearts and through our lives to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That is exhilarating and that is something worth living for and that is something despite our weakness and our smallness and our brokenness what a privilege to invite people to behold him to hear the the powerful word of god that calls existence itself into being from nothingness here's paul comparing the light of the gospel to the light that God called forth the very beginning of the Genesis story. And so when the Spirit of God opens someone's eyes, they're seeing the light of the new creation, the dawn of the age to come, the glory of Jesus, and Paul's awesome privilege And your awesome privilege and my awesome privilege as disciples and ministers of Jesus is to be light bearers, to carry mysteriously within ourselves the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Here's the real paradox, though, as Paul goes on, that God chooses to reveal this glory, this glory of the crucified and risen Jesus through Suffering, frailty, and weakness. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Corinth was actually famed for producing beautiful um, bronze jars and pots. They were works of art, really. Beautiful, long-lasting, valuable, and you would think a much more apt container 
for treasure. On the other hand, archaeologists who dig up sites in the ancient world, they find landfills literally filled with the fragments of earthen vessels. Jars of clay were fragile, they were inferior, and they were expendable. You use them, you toss them away, think nothing of it. But that is what God chooses to use. And Paul is saying this is, this is no accident, this is by design. God puts his treasure in jars of clay so that when his glory shines through your life, the only explanation is that it's the power of God and not anything generated by yourself. That the glory coming out of your life would be totally inexplicable from a human perspective. And the only possible source could be the grace of God at work in your life. We all hate this idea, of course. Who wants to be a jar of clay, to be fragile, inferior, and expendable? And in our minds, we are convinced that what we need to be fruitful for God's kingdom is strength and money and connections. And we pray, God, if you would only take this thing away, if you'd only supply that, if you'd only fix that problem, then at last I would be able to serve you. And we feel angry and frustrated at God because we feel, I could be doing so much for God's kingdom if I was married to a different person, if I didn't have this physical struggle or this mental health problem. There's so much I could do for God if only he gave me what I need to be fruitful. And yet infuriatingly, God keeps me small and weak and fragile, and I feel like I can do very little for him. Man, we all feel the pull of this. And we all pray for God to supply what we are convinced that we need. But God knows that so often those things those expressions of strength would only get in the way of his glory being manifested in our lives. It would really change the way we pray, wouldn't it? Scott Haifman says, it is endurance in the midst of adversity, not immediate miraculous deliverance from it, that reveals most profoundly the power of God. We pray for the deliverance. Yeah, we gather around, we stir up our faith. God, heal our sister, provide for our brother, change their lives, radically intervene in their circumstances. And in our very narrow way of thinking, we assume that's the only way the power of God could be revealed. But so often... God says, no, the way I want to bring glory to myself, the way I want your life to be spent for the sake of the world, is through weakness, brokenness, and a profound 
experience that you're fragile, inferior, and expendable. And somehow, in beautiful paradox, the glory of God is going to shine through that. Paul knew what it was like to endure, to endure only through the power of God, to be knocked down again and again, but somehow never to be knocked out. Not that Paul was immune to pain, that he could just stand there and take it with the blood running down his face and not feel anything. You know, the Stoic philosophers of Paul's time, they would boast about their ability to endure, to go through the most horrible suffering, the most terrible misfortunes with inner serenity because they had fortified themselves through the resources of philosophy and wisdom to make it through without being affected internally. Paul, though, is weak through and through. Not just in his circumstances, but in his experience of those circumstances. He's broken, he's depressed, he's crying out to God. And yet somehow, in frustration, depression, exhaustion, Paul is borne along by the power of God. The jar of clay is chipped and cracked, and yet, miraculously, it's held together by the power of God. And along the way, Paul learned this lesson. The message of the cross cannot be preached by strong people, by people who have it all together, by people who themselves have no need for the power of God. The message of the cross cannot be preached by strong people. And along the way, Paul discovered that it wasn't as though he was ministering despite his weakness. He was ministering through his weakness. And therefore, it was essential that Paul be weak and broken so that God could reveal his glory through Paul. Do you know why? Because the gospel itself, the gospel itself is about power through weakness, life through death, and resurrection through crucifixion. That is the master story that governs our lives. And if we're faithful to that gospel, our own life and ministry is going to be molded in the pattern of that story. And you yourself will increasingly take on that shape as you are conformed to the image of Jesus. Paul, of course, had his special calling as an apostle. But we're all disciples of Jesus, and Paul says to us, follow me as I follow Christ, because the disciple is not above his master. And we'll find that the Spirit of God is making us mirrors of the story of Jesus' self-giving sacrifice. 
You know, Paul's critics in Corinth were frankly disgusted by his weakness, by his suffering, by his lack of success, compared to their strong, powerful, charismatic ministries. But Paul knew that this path of the cross that God had him on was mediating the death and life of Jesus to people. Paul's experience of death was not atoning. It didn't pay for his own sin or other people's sin. But somehow, through Paul's experience of death, of weakness, of coming to the end of himself, somehow the power of the death and life of Jesus to people flowed through Paul's life. True Christian life and ministry is cross-shaped and resurrection-powered. Cross-shaped and resurrection-powered. I'm getting this from Michael Gorman. Cross-shaped, resurrection-powered. And this is the strange paradox of following Jesus, that at the same time in our lives, we will be experiencing Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Never one without the other, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, cross-shaped resurrection power. It's only the resurrection of Jesus that enables us to go on in this way of weakness and suffering. And we're going to go on in that way until God raises us all from the dead and brings us into the presence of Jesus. Paul's words ought to be deeply encouraging for all of us who are tempted to lose heart. And we all are. Your chronic pain, your physical handicap, your struggles with mental health, your relational frustrations, your dwindling resources. We're afraid these are obstacles to us serving Jesus and being fruitful in his kingdom. These are actually the marks of the cross that God is imprinting on the life of everyone who has left everything to follow Jesus. And those things that we take as a sign of God abandoning us may be the most profound evidences of his presence in our lives if we had the faith to see. And today you may feel depressed, exhausted, burnt out, and even abandoned by God. That is a participation in the death of Jesus. But death in God's purposes is never an end in itself. It's so that through that experience of death, the resurrection life of Jesus may be revealed in you and through you, ever-changing from glory to glory so that the grace of God would reach more and more people. This is a profound mystery, a deep paradox, and each one of us 
is going to be called to experience that in our own lives somehow. If we want to serve Jesus, if we want to be a servant of all, if we want our lives to be a poured out, beautiful offering to God. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us. If you are reading this and hearing this and thinking, yeah, I can handle this, bring it on, you are deeply deluded. God wants to bring you to a point beyond your power. He wants to give you far more than you can handle so that you may more deeply experience the grace, the power, and the glory of Jesus in your life. The only thing we can do is pray. So let's pray now and ask for supernatural help to glorify Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are very weak and very small. And I know each person here is aware of limitation in their life, of fragility and frustration. And you alone know how close some of us are to giving up and falling away even. We pray, O oh Lord, that your Spirit would open our eyes to what you are doing in our lives. It's so hard to go on without hearing from you, Lord, without the encouragement that comes from your Holy Spirit. In ourselves and in our flesh, we are losing heart, O oh Lord. And we pray that you would fill us afresh. Help us to see that our very weakness, our very limitations, our very fragility and frailness is actually being used by you as a revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we long for nothing more than to behold Jesus and to reflect Jesus to a world that needs him so desperately, that is blinded by the evil one. Your power is greater, O oh Lord. And so we pray that you would use us and make us gloriously fruitful. All for the praise and honor of your Son, Jesus Christ. Whose glory is shining to the nations. In his name we pray, amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.